This is an ABC News special. Good morning and welcome to our special coverage of special counsel Robert Mueller's congressional testimony. The Russian government's effort to interfere in our election is among the most serious. Did you actually totally exonerate the president? No. Did your investigation find that the Russian government perceived it would benefit from one of the candidates winning? Yes. Well, your investigation is not a witch hunt, is it? It is not a witch hunt. Would you agree that it was not a hoax that the Russians were engaged in trying to uh, impact our election? Absolutely. That was not a hoax. Did McCann do what the president asked? Well, uh, I would have to refer you to the report on that. The report is my testimony. Welcome to The Investigation. I'm Chris Vlasto, Senior Executive Producer for ABC. And this is a very big day in the Mueller investigation. Robert Mueller testified for more than five hours, two committees, the Judiciary Committee and the Intelligence Committee. And obviously, over the last six, seven months, we've been covering this investigation in depth. And so we're going to break down the testimony. We actually have with us our two regulars, John Santucci and Matt Mosk, who have been covering the investigation since the very beginning. And we have two special guests. We have Terry Moran, senior national correspondent with ABC News, and he's also our resident historian of American history here. So he can give us perspective. And then we have, obviously, Pierre Thomas, who is the Justice Department correspondent and actually is someone who perhaps knows Robert Mueller the best. And today would be perhaps one of the biggest days in this investigation, and perhaps it could be the end of the investigation. For people who have watched this, and this is kind of an insider show, we saw Bob Mueller speak really for the first time for almost five hours answering a lot of questions. And so let me go around to everybody here. And first off, Pierre, let me go to you. You've actually known Bob Mueller and followed him maybe the longest of all of us here. What what were your impressions of today? He had a strategy in terms of not going outside the confines of the report. He stated to Congress that he would not go outside those confines. He said the report was his testimony, and clearly he meant it. So the Democrats may have made a miscalculation in thinking that they could get him to push beyond that. The other thing I would say is that, look, he always spoke in a halting style, but he is clearly older. I thought that he was more animated as the day went on. That might have been because he was more interested in pushing forth on the notion of how the Russians interfered and how they might do so in the future. But clearly, it took him a while to sort of get his rhythm in terms of how he was going to handle basically being non-responsive to attempts both by the right and the left to get him to do what they wanted him to do. But I also thought, actually, maybe it was the format, too, because during the Judiciary Committee's format, they seemed to just want one-word answers from him, which also made him seem rather flustered in some ways. He had to look for pages and numbers where Nunez kind of led him a little more and the congressman seemed to lead him a little better. I, I, I think you're right. I think part of it dealt with the, the skill of the questioners, if you will. It seemed like the House intelligence was more prepared in how they wanted to elicit responses from him. But I do think, and I think we have to be honest here, it took him a while to get comfortable. I just noticed him, you could tell he hadn't done this in quite some time in terms of being in front of a committee in this way, way with the stakes so high. And Terry, I mean, obviously, you know, this was a whole impeachment is a political process. And do you think the Democrats who wanted 
to get the ball rolling on impeachment succeeded in that? I do not, uh, if at all, only a very little. And it's because it seems to me that they misplayed uh, their side uh, of this contest altogether. I think the hearing was backward. I I think the more dramatic and the more powerful Mueller affirmations and confirmations of the Democrats' points came in outlining step by really sometimes horrifying step uh, the the actions of the Trump campaign that reached out to the Kremlin, which was reaching out to them, the money factor, the fact that Trump, and it's worth reminding people, again and again lied directly to the American people saying, I don't have anything to do with Russia, whereas right through the summer, into the summer of 2016, uh, he was trying to get a deal through Michael Cohen to build a Trump Tower in Moscow. There was much more, I actually think, if you did a supercut of that second hearing and had those incidents... Of, of Trump and the Trump campaign, his family reaching out to Moscow and, and re- having the Kremlin reach out to them. Whether it was a criminal conspiracy or not is beside the point. You would see uh, really what, what Adam Schiff, the, the chairman of the committee, started out with, a question of loyalty and disloyalty. I thought that was much stronger than the first uh, part of the hearing, which focused all on obstruction. Democrats are convinced that this is the crime of obstruction. It may, it may not be. But obstruction is a process crime. And if there's not an underlying crime, it's a much harder crime to tell a political story about. Whereas this guy was willing to entertain offers from Russia and material from Russia that they knew was from Russia. And I think laying that out in somewhat damning detail might have done them better that said, I really don't think they made much of a dent at all in public opinion. Though, Terry, you were saying on the special report that you were you were talking about that maybe the bar was set too high by the Democrats in the very beginning, that, you know, it was always in search of a crime, where mm. today Congressman Schiff seemed to lower the bar and talk about morality and ethics and is this the right thing to do? Should If they had started off that way, you were saying that it, maybe America would be more behind it all and not as polarized. Is we might be in a very different place uh, as a country if we were not trying to judge a, a crime. Democrats were trying to prove a crime uh, with this evidence, which is uh, you know one thing you can do. But rather than ask, is this the way we want our, our country to go? Is this the way we want the president to be? Look uh, at the level of near betrayal that they were willing to entertain, taking a meeting with someone who said they had dirt on their opponent. Trump now says, well, what's the big deal about that? You take... You take help from an enemy of the United States in order to change our elections and you stand by and maybe even, you know, the timing of the releases from WikiLeaks and things like that. There were a lot of things that came up that I think had the question been framed about, is it right? Is it wrong? Is it loyal? Is it disloyal? Is it patriotic? Is it unpatriotic? to run your campaign that way. The country, uh, the president might be in a very different different position. But we may be and, looking at this not exactly the right way. I'm wondering if your supercut idea is is really the main point to this. If you look at this as a, as a television review, the seven-hour show was pretty boring. But if you look at this as what do the Democrats and the opponents of the presidents now do with the material, is it material that can be packaged and repackaged and sliced and diced into political ads, into social media videos, into all kinds of things that can be used, just the most compelling moments, there may be a victory, you know, to be salvaged out of what happened during the hearing today. One of the things I wanted to agree with Terry on in terms of the supercut, if you look at 
part two, the second hearing, Mueller seemed much more willing to contradict the president. He talked about that it's not a hoax. It's not a witch hunt. And he got particularly animated on this notion of WikiLeaks uh, being a uh, hostile foreign entity. And he said you know, agreeing with them and promoting them uh, was a, a bad thing in essence. But I just think that had to come down with the fact that the second committee asked better questions. I, I mean, the first committee was doing all yes, no. The second committee had open-ended questions trying to actually get something out of him, something for him to chew on. And, and I think, look, take a listen to what Adam Schiff did quite effectively, running through how this investigation started and the longtime claim from the president was it a witch hunt? And when Donald Trump called your investigation a witch hunt, that was also false, was it not? I'd like to think so, yes. Well, your investigation is not a witch hunt, is it? It is not a witch hunt. When the president said the Russian interference was a hoax, that was false, wasn't it? True. Well, I think what John, what John was saying, and actually Pierre made the point too, is in terms of how well prepared the questions were, it was Congressman Quigley who actually laid out in front of uh, Robert Mueller the sequence of statements that the president had made and tweeted about WikiLeaks. And it was one of the only times that Robert Mueller actually broke from his committed stricture to staying to the words of the report and weighed in with an opinion, which was that was not a, a, I can't remember the exact language he used about it being an understated, to say the least, that that was problematic. Well, actually, though, John, the White House seems to be, and throughout the day, at first I think Donald Trump said he wasn't going to watch. Now, obviously, yeah, okay. he was watching all day and was tweeting throughout the whole day. What, what's the reaction you're hearing from people you're talking to? Jubilant. Um, the, the amount of people that have uh, started the day not at the White House have been called over to the White House because the president is so happy about how things have gone. Um, it, the numbers just keep growing. You see members of Congress that were over there for other planned meetings, but of course getting pulled in uh, to see what the president, his lawyers have flocked over there as well. And shortly, of course, when he departs, you're going to hear from him uh, again. But look, you know, I think in most worlds, if you were Donald Trump, you would look at today as the ending of a chapter and you would stop talking about it. Robert Mueller's done. He rides off into the sunset. We're never going to hear about Robert Mueller again. However, Donald Trump's not going to let this go. He needs a boogeyman to constantly attack. The words witch hunt are going to come time and time again, despite the fact that it is over. There is no more Robert Mueller probe. You even saw earlier this week uh, one of the investigations up in the Southern District of New York that many people like us have been paying attention to, wondering where it was going to go next, if it was going to affect the president, his family, others, that probe is now over. So even though things are kind of looking good on the investigative front for Donald Trump, Donald Trump is the probably the only man that doesn't want you to forget about it. But Terry, also, you know, normally in these kind of things in Congress, if the Democrats had had a good day, there have been 90 congressmen, right, who have come out and said... Uh, 91. 91 in favor of impeachment. Normally, in the course of a hearing like this, there'd be emails coming out all day of more congressmen joining the parade. And I think it's been silent. 
it basically has been. And I think the steam within the House Democratic Caucus towards impeachment has, has just gone away. Really, they needed a compelling case laid out before the American people. I, I think if you do piece it together, you can certainly be really concerned. And I think more to Matt's point, we're going to see snippets of the of this hearing in campaign commercials, right? Adam Schiff asking Trump and his campaign welcomed and encouraged Russian interference. Robert Mueller, yes. And then Trump and his campaign lied about it to cover it up. Yes. I think the specific instances as well might well be fodder. But as far as a, a victory dance, you don't see anything like that. They're all heading for the high grass. Well, and, and Terry, yeah. we actually saw at one moment a lot of Democrats excited by an exchange Robert Mueller had with Congressman Ted Lieu about if he could have charged the president, would he have? But Robert Mueller seemed to give them a home run answer, but then later took it back. Take a listen. So to recap what we've heard, uh, we have heard today that the president ordered former White House counsel Don Morgan to fire you. The president ordered Don Morgan to then cover that up and create a false paper trail. And now we've heard the president ordered Corey Lewandowski to tell Jeff Sessions to limit your investigation so that he, you, stop investigating the president. I believe a reasonable person looking at these facts uh, could conclude that all three elements of the crime of obstruction justice have been met. And I'd like to ask you, the reason, again, that you did not indict Donald Trump is because of OLC opinion stating that you cannot indict a sitting president, correct? Uh, that is correct. Now, before we go to questions, I want to add one correction to my testimony this morning. I want to go back to one thing that was said this morning by Mr. Liu, who said, and I quote, you didn't charge the president because of the OLC opinion. That is not the correct way to say it. As we say in the report, and as I said at the opening, we did not reach a determination as to whether the president committed a crime. And with that, Mr. Chairman, I'm ready to answer questions. Now, and John, you're right. I mean, that was a moment we all, when we all listened the first time, we were like, mm-hmm. oh, wow. Kamala Harris, Chris, sent out a release celebrating it. Right. So, I mean, that's the trick. And although I do, as we started off this conversation by saying that Robert Mueller obviously was slower and a little bit halting and couldn't didn't have a command of the facts, he did stick to his script. He did not want to veer. He was not going further than the report. And I do think, as we said, in my opinion, I do think in part two of this hearing, because I believe a lot of people didn't read that part of the report, because on that one, it was more clear saying there was no insufficient evidence of conspiracy of a crime. So people kind of let it go. I think that's why it was far more interesting when anyone on obstruction, the window was open with this idea that we couldn't exonerate, that everyone focused on that. And it was kind of a a weird take on the whole thing. I'm curious. I know Pierre has been watching Robert Mueller a long time how you think that uh, that history will judge his performance here and whether by sticking so assiduously to the language of the report and not being willing to weigh in that over time he'll be looked at as weak or or insufficiently strong 
on these points? You know, I think it's hard to say at the moment. I think he'll be remembered as a guy who's, look, just didn't want to play politics. He did not want to engage in a circus. I was told that repeatedly over and over again, that he was going to do everything in his power to not look like he was being used by Democrats or Republicans. That was accomplished. Now, this whole notion, you know, whether he should have been more animated, I think, look, he he's not the man he was 10 years ago, just in terms of style. I mean, the Bob Mueller of 10 years ago would have been much quicker to answer some questions. And, you know, his patience was not quite what it was today. I mean, he would get honorary when he would be challenged by members of Congress a lot more quickly than he did today. Today, he seemed to be a person who came in with a mission, executed that mission, and, you know, and stuck to it. And from his standpoint, again, talking to people close to him, his biggest concern is over the Russian threat. He is less concerned about his image. And he, you know, you could tell was very concerned about playing this political game with Democrats and Republicans, just wasn't going to do it. I spoke to a source today as the hearing was ongoing who worked with him for many years. And he said it was an awkward position to be in, but he doesn't care. He just wasn't going to play that political game. And can I follow up on that? I, I think Pierre is exactly right. And how history will remember is in part because, of, yes, he stuck to the four corners of his mandate. He wasn't going to go outside. He wasn't going to play politics. But that last bit on Russia, he answered the call of duty to defend the country once more. He feels very strongly that the Russia attack on our democracy that is ongoing, as he said, is a, one of the worst threats he's ever seen in his long service to this country. And I think he thought he could do some good by coming up and talking about it, as frankly. The, the obstruction thing he was, he was uncomfortable with. He didn't make a final prosecution decision. But on Russia, I think he, he wanted to go up that hill once more and, and, and defend the country, uh, telling the country this is real. Every American should care about this and be concerned by it. Terry, on that point, I actually have to say when uh, I the only time I saw Robert Mueller uncomfortable outside of being a little slow and halting Mm -hmm. was explaining his defense of putting the word exoneration in there. And I didn't know which congressman it was. And he put up all the books and all the legal books and said, basically, show me where in the Constitution or in the legal code you use the word exoneration. I don't think he wanted to put that in. I may have been reading that. Mm. I don't know what you guys thought. But it seemed like this is a guy who's so by the book. And that's the one thing in this whole report that's really not by the book. Well, he was he was stuck with this uh, with this fact that he was unable by Justice Department of Policy in the Office of Legal Counsel, the OLC opinion, that he could not indict a sitting president. But he had evidence of wrongdoing, that he wasn't even going to decide whether or not it was a crime. And yet he wanted, I think, or maybe guys on the staff, you may be right, that he got buffaloed into this a little bit by people who are much more aggressive about the president on the staff. He wanted to signal to the public and to the Congress, to the decision makers, that this isn't an exoneration. Well, and certainly when he was confronted with the president's words, really right at the top of the hearing, was there collusion? Was, you know, what did you find there was no collusion? Did you find, uh, was this a full exoneration of the president? He was willing to say, no, I don't agree with what the president said. I have a slightly different take on it. Um, I don't think he got where the congressman was going. I just don't I don't think he got it. I think that the most difficult part about the report is the elephant in the room, which is that because of the OLC memorandum, which basically says you cannot indict a sitting president, 
out of fairness, Mueller said, I'm not going to go through the deliberative process of determining whether a crime was committed or not. And again, as I said on the air, laymen just don't get that. Prosecutors make decisions. And that's what Barr ended up doing. But Mueller looked at that memo and said, look, I'm just not going to do it. And at the end of the day, too, if you cannot prove the conspiracy that the Trump campaign or Trump conspired with the Russians, then I think the Mueller I know was always going to be extremely careful and conservative about the whole obstruction of justice issue in terms of how far he could take it. Right. You know, at the end of the day, as someone who did Bill Clinton's impeachment, and they had to change the independent counsel law after that. Mm-hmm. I think well, they got after rid of this. Now they got rid. Counsel, right? Now they do the special. I think they're going to have to do it again because I don't think the special counsel law is as clear on what he can and cannot do. You're right because the independent counsel is a separate entity in that he or she can make all the final calls. Right, because right. in this case, Mueller reported to the Department of Justice and, of course, everything we had to do with the acting uh, attorney general. You know, the one thing, Pierre, only because the audience here for this podcast is a little more inside baseball than what we find on the TV network, what do you think happened in the last 48 hours with the deputy that ended up coming, getting sworn in, and saying absolutely nothing? I, I found that whole thing, just as we were reporting that out, that the ping-pong of negotiations back and forth about whether Aaron Zebley, who was the day-to-day overseer of operations for the Mueller team, could be a player, could be sworn in, could be there as counsel— what do you think that I don't was? remember even seeing him, answer. did we? Yeah, he wasn't even it, in the frame of camera. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it was much ado about not much in the sense that this is a man who's been with Mueller since he was at the FBI. He is the person he always, I call him the look over the shoulder guy mm. in terms of any specifics that Mueller can answer. He's the guy that has the answer. The fact that he was not asked any questions, even though he was sworn in at the second hearing, and Mueller didn't really need him to do that. He was more of a security blanket than anything Mm -hmm. else. And I think from what I was told, his presence was negotiated last week. And uh, there was some political gamesmanship going on yesterday, I think, by both Democrats and Republicans in trying to cast it as this sort of really big deal when it, it wasn't. All right. Now, Terry, you're always good with like a big thought on a big situation. So uh, what's what's 10 years from 20 years from now when there's another impeachment or an investigation of the president? What's history going to look back at this moment of the last two years? Well, I think there are two aspects that first historians will be interested in in this. I think they're going to mine the Mueller report and find a lot more damning, damning information about the president. It's the president's force of personality and the loyalty of the movement he leads that's protecting him right now on some of this stuff, not the criminal stuff. But on, but on his conduct, on what it shows about his character and his, what he thinks about the office and our democracy, that he was willing to do what he did in 2016 and flirt with the Kremlin as he did. I think historians are going to be much more harshly judgmental of that than the American people are right now. But as a precedent, I think this maintains the precedent of all of our impeachments, is that it's very, very hard. The American people have a very good sense of their constitution. They really do, whether or not they know all it's, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. They understand what impeachment's for and what it's not for. And the Democrats uh, who advocate for it have simply not met the burden, not the burden in law, but the burden in the public mind. And I think the public mind on impeachment uh, is very commonsensical, and they don't take that instrument, that weapon, out of the Constitution unless they really, really need it. And, Terry, you know, if you take a step back... 
and look at this from a helicopter's point of view. At the end of the day, Bob Mueller did what Bob Mueller does. He's a prosecutor. And no one can argue that the investigation wasn't successful in terms of you indict and convict the president's national security advisor. You indict and convict the chairman of the campaign. You indict and uh, convict the deputy uh, chairman or someone with that title. Uh, You indict and convict the president's personal lawyer. He did those things, and he laid out what the Russians did or didn't do in terms of affecting the election. He's less good at politics and and PR, and you kind of saw that today. Now, at the end of the day, I also will say this. The president of the United States did something novel. As the investigation was unfolding, he decided, I'm not going to let the investigation and whatever's being written about it define what I'm going to say. I'm not going to stay quiet. Now, that'll be debated whether that was good or bad in terms of was he putting too much influence on the DOJ. But you could say it was very effective in terms of keeping his base with this notion. I don't think this investigation is fair and I'm fighting it. Okay, guys, thank you very much. And thank you, everybody, for joining us on this special bonus episode of The Investigation. And just so you know, this is going to be our last episode for a little while. We're going a hiatus for the summer, but we will be back if a major update comes on in this investigation involving the Mueller report, or we will also be back in the fall covering the presidential election and all the investigations that are involved in that, too. So stay subscribed. And thank you all for listening and all your support. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you all very much. I want to thank my producers, Emily Rachowski, Caitlin Fulmer, and Ford Hatchett. And I look forward to talking with you on another episode of The Investigation.